Good morning. We are going to see some of what your giving has been doing. Uh, as Dave mentioned, that you know the giving that goes on here isn't just for here. We know that that God has uh, has given us the opportunity, and we have the responsibility to make sure that whatever comes in here goes wherever God wants it to go. And that, that means it's, it's, it goes far beyond us. We do, you know, take care of, obviously, we've got heat, we've got lights. Uh, you'll notice that even more when winter hits and the floor gets warm and all you ladies take off your shoes to feel the warm floor. If I had shoes that would come off as quickly and easily, I'd have mine off too. But uh, we, we support missionaries all over the world. And these are not just organizations. They're individuals and, and people that touch other people. And so this morning, we want to show you from uh, Rabbi Stewart what is going on in Ukraine with the finances that you give. So if you'd show us that. Amen. You know, it struck me when I saw that, at first I was like, man, that, that seems pretty Spartan as far as the, the accommodations, but this is really a huge blessing for these people. You know, we might walk into this and say, you know, this isn't a great place, but this is something that they are finding that they can't find anywhere else. Uh, and I say that there are other organizations doing the work but few and far between. And um, it's, it's a situation where, again, they have a nice building to be able to go in, accommodations, but even as Stuart said, Rabbi Stuart said, they don't know if they're going to have electricity, which means they don't know if they're going to have heat. Now, we don't deal with that. So what we're seeing is something very different, but we, who have been monumentally blessed... The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. We have that privilege and have been doing this, supporting Rabbi Stewart and the people that he's in connection with. And that's the thing. One of the things that Rabbi Stewart said when he was here was that every penny that comes in for Ukraine goes to Ukraine. I don't know any other organization that that happens with. I'm sure there are. But many times there's administrative fees, there are all sorts of other fees that the money goes to. This goes directly to the place where it's needed most. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, your willingness to sow into people that you will not see this side of heaven, but I'm sure they're going to seek you out once we're there. And thank you for what you've done. Amen? 
Well, this morning we are, are continuing on. We've been learning about abiding and dwelling and how important it is to God the Father. It gives great glory to Him, how it's important to Jesus because that's what He called and appointed us to. And it's important because it shows and proves that we're true followers of Christ. Um, but we've also been looking at the benefits that come from abiding and dwelling and, and uh, making God our first stop not our last resort. Many times we go through life and we do what we do and all of a sudden we find that things aren't what we expected them to be, right? We always have expectations and they're not always met and sometimes sometimes they exceed what we expect and other times they fall far short and things go south real quick. And all, all, all we realize is we can't do anything more about this. We need God's help. So we, we shoot up a flare prayer, right? God, help me! And God's always been there. He's always been there. He's got his eye on us, and, and he cares about us. But we have done what we've done, the way we've done it, and maybe not really looking to him or, or uh, connecting with him or relying on him, allowing him to govern and guide and protect and provide like we should when we abide. And so we've been learning about this and looking at this, and we, we began to look at how Israel was deceived. Now, throughout the Bible, we see deception occurring in Israel, but understand that the Bible tells us in the days that we live in, in the New Testament, that many people will be deceived. And the truth is, all of us have a degree of deception in our lives. And, and if you sit here this morning and say, I'm not deceived, that's the very striking example of you being deceived. Uh, we don't know. Part of deception is you don't realize it. You don't know it. You need someone or outside of you to be able to look and see and say, hey, what are you doing? Because if, if you and I are Christ followers, if, if we are the ambassadors for the Lord, why are we doing some of the things we're doing? Because we're deceived. And one of the reasons why we get deceived is we've got an enemy out there that that is his major form of, of undermining in our life, to bring deception. He tempts us. That temptation looks like it's going to be good and something that we need. And so we move away from God because you can't move towards God and towards sin. They're two different directions. And when we move away from God, we begin to get drawn by sin, and that sin begins to bring death into our lives. But we think it's going to bring something better. Every time we sin, we think it's going to be worth it, and it never is. And so when, when we, we become deceived, it's because of the enemy, or he has a partner. Guess who it is? Exactly. It's us. It's us, because the Bible says if we're hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. And so it's important that we hear today what God is speaking to us. You don't need to listen to everything, but you need to absolutely hear what God is going to say to you today, because there's something for each one of us. And I say each one of us, because when I'm preaching, if, if I'm really willing to be attentive to God, he'll highlight things and, and Reveal things that I know I need to make an adjustment in. And it's not because he's mad at me. He loves me and he wants better for me than I'm currently experiencing because he wants to take me from glory to glory. Isn't that the way of God? God wants to take us from one level of glory to the next level of glory. But that move from here to here requires change. Change in who? God? No, he doesn't ever change. Change in us. We need to make a change to go from whatever level of glory we are currently at to the next level and continue to experience change throughout our lives because we're supposed to be not conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of our mind, conformed to the image of the Son of God. So we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and if we're not seeing it, hopefully somebody is. Hopefully that transformation is happening. And, and yet Israel was deceived. They were deceived into thinking that they needed a human king. Now God had been their king. God had done amazing things for them, bringing them out of Egypt and through the wilderness and, and had provided all the way along. And yet they looked out there and they saw other countries, other nations, and they said, we want, we want to be just like all the other nations. We want a king like them. 
Was that a step up or a step down? Down. But they were deceived. They thought they were missing out on something that everybody else had and didn't think they had as much or more. Just like we get deceived when we think that the world has something that we need. There's nothing the world has that we need because we've got everything we need in the Lord. And so we saw how they, they demanded a king and, uh, and they got him. And we're going to see the first king that Israel had. And we're going to see the, the characteristics of this king. This king had an eye problem. And uh, it's, it's sometimes an eye problem that we fall prey to. But before we do, I just want to remind you of a scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It's not going to be up on the screens, but it says the Lord searches all the earth for. Did you know God's searching? He's searching. But this is what the Lord is searching all the earth for. People who have given themselves completely to him. Didn't we sing that this morning? Didn't we make God aware? Didn't we proclaim that we are giving ourselves completely to him? Yes, absolutely. And it's easy, folks, it's easy to sing it. But it's a different thing to practice it. Because we have so many things pulling at us that want us to be given to them, want us to, our allegiance to be aligned with them. And that if we're going to align with anything other than God, it's pulling us away from God. It's robbing God. That deception, where there's deception, there's loss. And yet, we are immersed in a world, in a society, at a time where deception is rampant. Where so many things, we have never in the course of the history of mankind had so many options so many things pulling at us i remember now some of you are going to be like i i I didn't know that i remember when there were three channels on the tv and i had to physically get up and turn a knob to get to another channel and that was my job part of my job in the family my dad said let's go to the other channel Okay, I know, i got to move. Now, we sit there with a remote. We go through hundreds of channels. You know, there, there is an amazing amount of options that we have. And all of those options are designed, not necessarily that they are evil, but they're designed to fragment us, to divide our attention and our affection and our allegiance. Because... I, I honestly don't think we're going to have cable TV in heaven. Just a thought. Right, exactly. We don't need it. We don't need this stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people that are in financial trouble. And we go through because before we, we really... Uh, step in and assist somebody on a regular basis, an ongoing basis, we want to make sure that they're not sinking their own ship. And if they got more going out than coming in, guess what happens? Yes, sink your ship. And so we sit down and we'll go through. And I remember distinctly sitting with one gentleman and, and I could see his income was a certain level. His outgo was massively over what his income was, and he didn't understand why he was having problems. Now, that really wasn't the, the truth. He didn't want to acknowledge why he was having the problems because he wanted everything that he wanted, but he couldn't afford it. And sitting there talking with him, I said, okay, listen, what we need to do is let's... let's I'm not saying you have to get rid of all of it, but let's pare down what your cable subscription is. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, then sooner or later, you're not going to have cable. You're not going to have a TV. You're not going to have anything. But again, there is a resistance to reality. The reality is we don't need anything before God. We need him. And he's searching. Uh, King James translation says, uh, he's searching the whole earth 
to the people who have given themselves completely to him because he wants to make them strong. God wants to make us strong. But when we're looking to something else and giving ourselves to something else, we're weakening what God has a plan to strengthen. And that's why we have to give ourselves in abiding to God the way, the way Jesus taught us we needed to do for our benefit, for our family's benefit, for this world's benefit, and for the glory of the Father. And so, as Israel chose to give themselves to something other than God, to a king, they wanted a king. And today, we're going to look at what this king was like. And before we do, let's pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Father, today, I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word to uh, the body of Christ, Lord, to your bride. I thank you that your word is life and health to those who find it today. We thank you for healings here today. We thank you, Father, for your word being a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for illumination that comes from your word, revelation that's brought to us by your spirit. And as we apply the revelation, there's transformation that will occur and we'll go from glory to glory. So, Father, use me today to speak your word. I thank you for uh, your people having an ear to hear what you're saying to them. Father, make it clear of what it is that we each need individually to apply to our lives so collectively we can be stronger, we can more, be more secure, more stable, more empowered to be the people that you have for us to be and do the things you have for us to do. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And so we're going back to 1 Samuel, but we're going, instead of going back to chapter 8 where we were last week, we're going to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, and, and it's talking about a man by the name of Kish who was a, a Benjaminite, and it said he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul, all right? There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel, for his shoulders upward, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. And so... This is, this is the person that, that God is choosing because he knows. How many of you know God knows everything? He knows that they are predisposed to looking to certain type of people, and we still are. There's a predisposition for us to act nicer and do more for people that are tall and beautiful. Studies have come out over many years to prove this. Now, is that right? Absolutely not. But it still happens because we tend to deal with things according to what we see. And we as Christians are supposed to walk by what? Faith and not by sight. We're supposed to love who? Everyone. Right. And, and yet in our humanity, we tend to be biased. Everyone has bias, all right? But if we'll walk the way God has for us to walk, we'll put aside those biases. We'll love everyone. We'll do good to those people around us. We'll not hold back. And, and we will show that goodness to people, and it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. But this was Saul. This was the man that God had chosen because he knew Israel would accept this king. And so he, he, he is a, a, he's a good boy because his dad had lost some donkeys. And, and so Samuel or Saul went out to find these donkeys. And, and uh, there was a prophet in the land. His name was Samuel. And God had told Samuel about Saul and that was going to be the king and that he would meet him at the gate and he would be the one. And so he meets Sam, or Saul at the gate. Saul's looking actually for the donkeys, couldn't find them, decides to go to the prophet and runs into Samuel. And Samuel says to him, you're the one that Israel wants, you and your family. And he was like, what? And he says this, and Saul answered and said, I, am I not a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of the families of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then do you speak this to me? Now, how many of you read the word for you today on Friday? 
this was in there. When I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, thank you. Because it just affirms to me that we're on the right path. There are things that, that uh, God is getting through to us. And so Saul was not really accurate in his appraisal of himself or, or others because it says that Kish, his father, was a very noble man, a man of valor and power. And part of that power was riches. It was influence and riches in the de definition of it. And so now he says, am I not a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Listen, there were half tribes in Israel. And he says, in my family, the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin, then why do you speak this to me? And so he's, he's looking, but what's he looking at? All of this is I, my, me. This is the I problem Saul has. It's all about him. He is the center of his world. And yet, we all are that way. We're all coming from a place of, when we're children, who do we think of before we think of anybody else? Ourselves. And some people get chronologically older but never grow up. Because that is their focal point. They are the center of their universe. And we as Christians are prone to that because we're humans. But God wants to put his super on our natural so we'll break free of the selfishness that people without the Lord are prone to. And so he was, he was focused on himself, and he said, why, why are you saying this to me? And Samuel tells him, because this is what the Lord wants to do, and he takes time at the end of this chapter to say to Saul, listen, I need to tell you what the word of the Lord is. And he begins to tell him. And then in the next chapter, and I just want to forewarn you, we're going to go through a lot of chapters today. It's not going to be line by line, verse by verse until we get later on because there's a lot to cover. So in the next chapter, in chapter 10, uh, it, it talks about how Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? This is why he anointed him. This is what, what was going to be done. And then, then Saul, Samuel says to Saul, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will be turned into another man. He's telling him that what you've been called to, you can't do on your own. Now, is that any different than what God's called us to? Well, I'll tell you, it's not. Whatever God has called us to, each of us, we can't do it on our own. As Dave was sharing this morning, that, that God's given him the job and the ability to learn and the ability to, to have a fit body. We all have to realize every good and perfect gift comes from God. And, and that's where we have to look back to God. When we really find out what God's called us to, it's always bigger than us. It will always initially scare us. And the reason why is when we look at what God's, God has for us, we look at us first. Instead of recognizing this is what God's called us to and he's not left us alone to do it. He is right there to assist us, to empower us, to impart us. Because when we do what God has for us to do, whether it's at work, whether it's in our family, whether it's in ministry, we need to reach out and hold on to abide in God. As we abide in him, he abides in us. He provides for us everything we need to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. But we have to be abiding. That's the only way we open up the channel for God to begin to flood us with his ability, with his wisdom, with his grace, with his power. And so the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them. And then in verse 17 and 19, it goes on to say, Samuel called the people together and reminded them of what the Lord had done for them and how they were rejecting him. It says Samuel called the people together together uh, 
and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and from tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And so, once again, he's, he's telling them, remember, this is what I've done, but you want a king. I personally believe it was a moment in time where God was giving them another opportunity to say, you know what, we've thought this over. We don't want a human king. We want you to stay as our king. Because God gives us opportunity time and time again to repent, to turn away from the track we're going on because he knows the damage that's going to be done. But God will not, God will not inflict or force his will on us. If we want something else, he'll let us go that way. He'll love us in the midst of it, but he'll see the trap ahead. And so, uh, they, they affirmed they wanted, they wanted this king. And uh, the new king uh, has to face his first battle because, you know, kings were thought of as the ones that would lead into battle. They would fight the fights. They would govern. They would guide. They would protect and they would provide the very thing that God was supposed to do because we abide in God. But now they're putting their trust in and their confidence in this human king. And no human will get it right every time. There is only one human that was perfect, and he is now at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they face, they face this, this one test with, it's kind of a minor battle. There are the Amalekites, Amorites that come out against the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they're not a, it's not a big battle, but Saul rallies Israel and gets 330,000 people to go to battle. And they convincingly win the battle. And, and so he, he obviously has, has relied on what God has given him and done that. But the next battle comes, and in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5 through 7, and again, we're jumping through this fairly quick, but it says the Philistines... The Philistines were just a fighting machine. They were feared throughout the land. And it says the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. So this is a big battle. The sand on the seashore, you can't even number it. This is how many foot soldiers that the Philistines had on top of the 30,000 chariots and the 6,000 horsemen. And it says, And they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that, they were in danger, for the people were distressed. Now, when it says they were distressed, that word distressed means terrorized. They see this army that's amassing outside, and they are terrorized. Then the people hid in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and the Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. So they're in this situation, and this is the battle of all battles. He's never faced anything like this. But how many of you know when you face a battle, you don't ever have to face it alone? God always will guide us. He'll guard us. He'll govern us and he'll provide for us if we'll abide. But if we don't, then we have to rely on whatever we choose to that is going to be far inferior to God. Every time we choose anything other than God, it's because we've been deceived into thinking we'll get better than what God has for us. And who can give us better than God? Right. No one. No one. And yet it happens on a regular basis. And so 
the people that are left with him. Now, there are people that have left him, but the people that are left with him are following him, but they're terrified. They're afraid. And going on, in verse 8 it says, And Saul waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring me, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. Now, understand that there were, there were traditions before they went out to war. They needed to acknowledge God, that he was with them, and and uh, take care of that. And yet, in this moment, there was a set time for Samuel, who was the one that was the prophet that would offer this offering. They had set a time, and Samuel didn't show up. And so Saul says, give me the burnt offering. And now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. Isn't that the way it is? God doesn't always operate on our time frame. Why? Is God playing games with us? No, absolutely not. He's not. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. The moment we begin to engage in faith, we need to stay in faith. But it's real easy to come out from under that and do what we think is best. When things don't work out the way we expect or according to tradition or plan or our schedule, all of a sudden we want to take things into our own hands. It happened with Abraham and Sarah. Remember God told them that he would be a father of many nations? And, and time went on and went on and went on and went on. And he, he and Sarah decided they'd figure out a way to make this happen. And it didn't work out well. And it never works out well for us either. And so Saul takes charge. He takes control. Because that's what a leader does, isn't it? I'm going to tell you, a leader in the kingdom of God does not take personal control. A leader in the kingdom of God always looks to the Lord. Is supposed to depend on God. Because whose kingdom is it? God's. And so there's a level above every level, and that's the Lord. And we need to look to him, and we need to wait on him. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. That word wait is the same idea of abiding or dwelling. We need to abide. We need to dwell because without it, we're going to go off into some pretty Rough territory. And Samuel said when he came, what have you done? Now look at this. Saul said, when I saw the people were scared, scattered from me and you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. Now, what does he say? If you'd back up, if you go back just a second summer to the previous one. He says, when I what? How many of you know, no matter what we see, we don't see the whole picture? And whatever we see, we better look to God. But what did he say? I saw that the people were scattered. Right? So he's seeing people run away that he had gathered to fight this fight. And he sees this massive army against him. And he said, I saw the people scatter. And who did they scatter from? Really? They were running away from him? Do you think that's really why they ran? Why, why did they run? They were terrified of Saul, his inability. They were terrified of the Philistines. But what does Saul put it back to? They ran away from me. I saw the Philistines. I saw the people scatter. I, I, they ran away from me. Saul had an eye problem. It was all about him. 
And I will tell you, you and I will fall prey to the eye problem every time we get our eyes off God. Hello? Because it happened in the garden. The moment Adam and Eve went into sin, they got their eyes off God, and who did their eyes land on? Themselves. We saw that we were naked. Our first look, apart from God being our focal point, is going to be us. I saw the people scatter from me, and that you didn't come with, I saw that that the, the way we had planned it wasn't working out the way we had planned. Do you know that the Bible tells us man plans his way, but God directs his steps? You and I have plans, but how many of you know our plans need to yield to God's? Every time, every time we don't yield to God, every time we don't rely on God, every time we let go of God and don't abide in God, we're going to pay a price. And so are other people. Go ahead, Summer, to the next one. And the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then what? I said. Who said? Yeah, Saul said it. Nobody else said this. How many of you know we say a lot of things? How many of you know we listen to us many times more than we listen to anybody else? Uh, you don't want to admit it, but it's still true. I said. The Philistines will now come down on who? Come on. Was he the only one out there in the battle? But that's the only one he had his eyes on. It always came back to him. I said the Philistines will come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. You know what? He wasn't making it for himself. He was making it for the nation of Israel. An eye problem. Folks, please hear me today. Hear what God is trying to tell all of us. I am as guilty of this as anybody. The moment I get my eyes off God, I begin to look at me. And it's my undoing. And it's our undoing. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. What? He's been made king because Israel wanted a king. God knew what king that they were willing to accept, and because he was handsome and he was choice and he was taller than everybody else it was a given that he was going to be the one that they would want because they were just judging by their eyes their senses they had given up on God so that they were going to go for what looked best what sounded best what seemed best and there's a way that seems best or right unto man whose end is the way of death it still is there's nothing and no one better than God. So Samuel tells Saul, you know, your kingdom is limited. It's not going to be unlimited like God was going to do. And so there's an end coming. There's another battle that comes after this. They, they, Jonathan wins this battle. His son, Saul's son, uh, Jonathan, ends up beating the Philistines. And God did it. And it was supernatural. And you'll have to read about it. But we're going to jump ahead to the next battle, which is with Amalek. And it's in 1 Samuel 15. And in verse 3, it says, Now go and attack Amalek. This is Saul speaking. And utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them. Now Samuel's speaking to Saul and telling him what the Lord wants. And the Lord said very clearly, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy them. 
utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them. Now, if God tells you to do something, can you do it? Yes. No. Yes, you can do it as long as you do it connected with God. If we try and do what God's told us to do apart from God, we can't. With who are all things possible? God. Now, I'm not trying to undermine your self-confidence. I'm just trying to shift your self-confidence to a God confidence. Because we need to be confident in God. I don't want you to raise your hand because it, you would embarrass yourself. But the question is, who here has never failed? And if you think you are, you're deceived already. All of us have failed. Guess what? There's one who's never failed. That's the Lord God Almighty. Never failed, never will fail. Won't start with you. But when failure comes, many times it's because we have stepped out in ourselves. We started in God, but we didn't finish in God. We need to stay abiding and connected in God and relying on God, allowing him to govern us and guide us and guard us and provide for us as we abide in him. And so God gave the plan to Samuel. Samuel gave it to Saul. You know, right there, that'd be a problem for some people. I don't want anybody telling me nothing. I'll get it straight from God. No, you won't. No, you won't. And, and it won't happen because God doesn't want you to become so reliant on yourself and you and God. We need each other. Every one of us needs other people. God designed it that way so that we wouldn't be able to say, look what I did. Whatever we've done, we've done because of God and with the help of other people. It goes on in, in verse 9. And, and the reason why, before we get into this, you can keep it up, but the reason why God told them not to spare anything, get rid of all of it, because he wanted, didn't want them to become connect, contaminated by the sin that the Amalekites were practicing. Well, that's pretty brutal. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that, that we should have no part with the worthless deeds of evil. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what part believers with unbelievers? Yes, we're supposed to witness to them, but we're not supposed to be doing everything with people that don't know the Lord. Our fellowship, our connections need to be in the body of Christ. If our main connections are with people that are unsaved, they need to be for the single purpose of showing them the Lord, but not to gain from them. We're supposed to be giving. When we come together as believers, that's when we give to each other, we receive from each other. So it, it goes on in verse 9, and it says, but Saul and the people. Now, remember that. This is, this is in the heat of the battle. Saul and the people spared Agag. He was the king. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were, this is unbelievable, it's here, unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Were they obedient to God? Do you know that partial obedience is disobedience? Like a partial truth is a whole lie. And so they were unwilling. They were unwilling. Oh my gosh. They're saying, well, you know, I know what God said, but you got to watch your butts. Because your butts are going to get in the way. Our butts get us into the worst places. But 
you know, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and, and I can't see why we shouldn't do this. Why shouldn't they have done it? There's no reason why they shouldn't have done what God said. But they, in their perception of what was best, what was good, determined, well, this is good, this is best. God doesn't know what he's talking about. I know better than God. That's exactly what they did, and it's exactly what we do when we disobey God. I think I know better than God. Now, that sounds foolish even to say out loud, because we know how foolish that is. And yet we do it. We need to be aware. When we don't abide, we're choosing to be foolish. We're being foolish because we're deceived. And when we're deceived, there's loss. Verse 10 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now it says he turned back from following me, which indicates that Saul at one point was following God. God knew that he would follow him. God also knew that he wouldn't, but he was going to give him a shot. And so he turned back from following God. And if he wasn't going to follow God, he was going to follow something else. And whatever else it was, was not going to give him what God had intended. And has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told to him, saying, Saul went to Carmel, which was a mountain. It was an area in a mountain. And indeed, look what he did. He set up a monument. Where? To who? Himself. Himself? Look what I did. If he had victory, it wasn't him. Who gave him the victory? God, even though he was not completely obedient. God had told him to attack and to destroy everything. Because he didn't want Israel polluted by the sin of the Amalekites. And so they went in and they had the victory because God gave it to them and they kept back some things because it was tradition. When they had a battle, tradition was you would always bring the king back of the people so that you could parade the king through all the people of your land and show them the vanquished, conquered king. And then you would put the king down before you Saul would have as the king of Israel, and you would put your foot on his neck and show him and everyone that they were over that. You would bring back the best from the land to show what you had now incorporated into your land, your people. And so he, he now set up a monument for himself. And it says, and he has gone around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Now, then when Samuel went to Saul, Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed, what? I have performed the commandment of the Lord. True or not true? An absolute lie. Now, he's talking to a prophet. That's a bad move. God's going to tell the prophet everything he needs to know. But he didn't have to tell him this. He knew he wasn't right. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. But you know what? Saul believed what he said. Saul believed what he said. It was not true, but he believed it. It was his truth, but it wasn't truth at all. It was because he was so deceived, because he had not performed the commandment of the Lord. He had not done what God said. And we, we know in James 1.22, the Bible says, if you're a hearer and not a doer of the word, it doesn't just mean in the New Testament. It's talking about when we disregard God. When we get guidance from God, and we disregard it, we begin to move into the realm of deception. 
And we get so deceived, we think we did what we were supposed to do, just like Saul did. But it's not true. Not true at all. In verse 17, what happens between what we just read and 17 is all of a sudden Samuel says, well, if you performed the commandment of the Lord, why do I hear all this bleeding and, and all the animals that are here? You were supposed to destroy it all. And he confronts Saul. You know, we need people to confront us. If we're deceived, we need somebody to help shed some light on what we don't see and what we believe, but it is not true. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel and were not, did not the Lord anoint you as king over Israel? When you were little in your own eyes. When we recognize who we are, Apart from God, we know we can't without God's help. And we'll abide. We'll, we'll rely on God. We'll depend on God. We'll trust in God. We'll look to God. Because we really need to. But when we get some victories under our belt, all of a sudden we think we can do more than we can. The Bible says that as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord in due season, he'll exalt us. That God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we're small in our own eyes, not worthless, not useless, but in comparison to God, we realize our dependence needs to be on him. Our trust needs to be on him. Our obedience needs to be to him. We need to yield to him. And in verse, verse 19, it goes on to say, Samuel says to Saul, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And look what Saul says to Samuel. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back a gag king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, remember back in verse 9 where Saul and the people chose to do what they did? Now, now he is selling out everybody else. It's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? Well, I hid myself. Why? Because I found out I was naked. Oh, well, well how did you know that? Did you eat? Yeah. But it was this woman that you gave me. The first thing Adam does is he blames his wife. Bad, bad, bad move, husbands. And then he gets in even deeper. It's this wife you gave me. Blames his wife, blames God. The only two allies that this guy has, he's now alienated. Don't do it, guys. But Saul, Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the I've gone on this mission. I brought back King Agag, utterly destroyed the Amalekites, and the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of things, which they should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Why did they keep this stuff? Because they were going to sacrifice it to God. And, and the word of the Lord says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Our rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, I'm not rebelling against God. I just haven't obeyed. That's rebellion. And what does it say rebellion is like? Witchcraft. Do you know what witchcraft at its very foundation is all about? It's about control. When spells are cast and things are done, it's about one having control over another or something else. And this is a huge problem among us as human beings. We are control freaks. We want control. <laughs> I, I will ask you to just take some time 
this week to just be before God and ask him to show you if you are wanting control. And I think all of us, before we go there, we know. It's something we all want. But if we're in control, guess who's not? That's right. God will not override our control. We have a choice. If we choose to take control, God will let us control. At a huge cost to us. Because we're deceived into thinking we can do a better job than God. And where there's deception, there's loss. And so they thought they had a better idea. And he, he I did what God said. I utterly destroyed all the Amalekites except... Or but, remember, watch your butts, but Agag, the king. The people destroyed everything that was worthless, but not that which looked good and seemed good and they could do something good with it. They were going to offer it to God. Isn't that good? It would be if God didn't tell them, don't keep any of it. They were disobedient. They were in rebellion. They were looking to control. And who were they taking the control from? God. And I love you. But I know you're just like me. And we do this on a regular basis. And we're just as deceived as Saul was. But I've done what God wanted. Have we? I can't answer that question for you, but I can answer it for me. No, I haven't done all that God wanted me to do. I've done, I've done his will, but there are times I've done his will my way, which is not his will. And I've had to realize I need to repent. I need to repent. Repentance is a part of our lives, every day a part of our lives. We need to get back on track. We need to turn around from the way we went out. And get back on track with God. In verse 24, we're going to see three more verses and then we're going to end. In verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Look at this, the Lord of the Lord and your words, because I have feared people and obeyed their voice. All of a sudden, there's, there's this light bulb that goes on to a degree. I've sinned. I've transgressed the word of the Lord. It wasn't Samuel's word. Why? Because he feared the people. The Bible says the fear of people brings a trap. That was in the word for you today, this week, on Friday. And then, look at this. He acknowledges he's sinned. But he's not really repented. You can say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, God. But if we don't turn out of that and get on another course, we're not really sorry. Many times we are sorry, but we're not sorry for what we did. We're sorry for what's happening because of it. We got caught. Verse 30 says, and then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now. What? Honor me now? I've sinned. Here's your reward. No. Humility comes before honor. Honor me now. Please. Now look at this. Again, he has this eye problem. Honor me now. It's all about me. Before the elders of the pe of my people. Whose people were they? <laughs> God's people. And before Israel. And return with me that I may worship the Lord. Look at this. The Lord who? Your God. Disconnect. We don't have to disconnect. That's why this is so important. We need to abide. So that... We don't end up the way Saul did, just turning away, being undone. You know, there are many, many people today 
like I have never seen, and many of my, my pastor friends have said, they have never seen so many people renounce their faith, deconstruct their faith. I'm telling you, if we turn to anything other than God, we're turning away. And yet people think they're doing the best thing. That's how deceived they are. Saul ended up dying. He actually killed himself. And yet God had had, knowing what Saul was going to do, God had had a man chosen, a man after his own heart, the Scripture says. In chapter 13, verse 14. But who is that man? The next king of Israel. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king. This king would be radically different and yet very much the same in some ways. Because God is dealing with all of us and all of us are frail and flawed and human. We are subject to temptation and we fall down. But we need to get back up and get back on track with God because we'll see what this second king did. And he failed massively. But he got back up. And he made sure the priority was right, that he made the priority of God being number one in his life. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, sometimes we need to look at other people's lives and see how ridiculous the things are that they're doing. But then we have to take stock of ourselves and say, am I being as foolish? Am, am I possibly as deceived as that person was? It was so evident to us as we looked at this but it was so hidden to them. Convinced, completely convinced they were doing everything right. And yet, absolutely not true. And that should cause us to pause and take a moment and say, oh God, please. I know that I see what I see and I know what I know, but I know it's only part. And I know in this time, your word says that Many will be deceived. Many will rise up and deceive many. And Father, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be deceived in putting our, our confidence in a government of man. Putting our confidence in a financial system. Putting our confidence in anything other than you. Father, you can use all these things, but if you choose not to, you're still the head of it all. Jesus, you're still King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, you are the head of the body of Christ. And no matter what happens in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our lives, as we abide in you and give ourselves to you, you can work everything for good. Because we love you. We prioritize you above all and before all else. Lord, you have the preeminence first in value, in rank, and in influence in our lives. And nothing should take that place. But if it has, reveal it. Just like the psalmist said, Father, search me and show me if there's any way in me that's hindering you from having your way. Father, that's just not a, a Sunday morning prayer. It's an everyday opportunity for you to reveal truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set us free and keep us free. And so help us. Help us to embrace repentance because we need it. Because if we turned away, we need to turn back. And we thank you, Father, that in all of this, you can work it for good because we love you, because we abide in you.
because we allow you to govern and guide us. Protect us and provide for us. You and you alone. But we thank you for your guidance in our lives, showing us our part, but knowing your part. That we enter into the rest of faith. We thank you, Father, that as we commit ourselves completely to you, abiding in you, your eyes, as they search the world over, they will see us. You will see us. And you'll show yourself strong on our behalf. And we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Would you stand?